Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk to you about the Kilimanjaro Safari that exists at Disney's Animal Kingdom in the Walt Disney World Resort. Now, if you're any, in any way familiar with the history of the uh, Animal Kingdom, you realize that there was an intention to put in three distinct areas. There was going to be live animals, there was going to be animals that used to exist, and then mythical creatures. The mythical creatures never came up and never happened, and you can hear more about that on my video series, uh, Lost and Found at Disney World. And the other two areas did come to, into being. Now, there was Sue in the uh, Animal Kingdom that was the uh, largest and most complete T-Rex that was uh, ever found and restored at the Animal Kingdom. And you can hear more about that on both a video series and a podcast where I talk about it. So if you're interested in hearing more, more about that, it's there for you. But the third area about the live animals, this was something that kind of harkens back to the idea that Walt Disney originally had when he was talking about the Jungle Cruise. In the 1950s, Walt Disney had this idea where he could actually put live animals on display and have a boat cruise that went through and looked at these live animals. It was kind of a clever idea and kind of harkened back to his whole love of nature and the uh, true life adventures that he had created. He wanted to create an opportunity for people to see animals, but he wanted to make it an immersive experience and not have it be a zoo. That was kind of the intent. <laughs> not a zoo. But unfortunately, that was never going to happen. The space available, the way animals were treated, all of those things was never going to work. So they replaced them with audio animatronics instead, which was great. That worked out just fine. And the Jungle Cruise uh, has success because of it. Now, the changes that flash forward to the Animal Kingdom, where they had the blessing of size and they had acres and acres of land to work with where they could put animals on it and let them roam freely. And they could make basically a zoological park where they could have these animals out there and they could, they could be out there and we could interact with them in some way. So not only could you learn about the animals, you, there could be research done, there could be educational things done, there's all kinds of things that they could do. So the idea was born for having a live action area where you could go back in there. Now, if you walk around the Animal Kingdom, there, you realize there's a very rich storyline that's being told there. There's a lot of things, a st big story, a very deep tale that they're telling you about life in Africa, especially, and the way that there's a lot of uh, things that happen with poachers, and there's a lot of things that happen with people wanting to take you out and camp and see the animals and different things like that. And it's complicated and 
kind of kind of interesting because that's the real life way that it works. And there's a bunch of people who is, who, are, who have sought to preserve the animals and create preserves and places where game hunters can't go and so forth. But they wanted to educate you about this. So that's why they put up these different signs and created this sort of subtle story around the park. And then when they created Kilimanjaro safaris, they decided to take that story a little farther. The true life adventures of animals are fascinating and ever-changing. Indeed, that is the one aspect that sets the animal kingdom apart. Here, an unpredictability will take center stage. On the Kilimanjaro Safari, our animal cast members do not follow a script. Every trip will be a different adventure. Every journey will bring a different story. Now, Michael Eisner had said that originally every story was going to be different. Every time he went on the safari, it was going to be different. And to a point, he was right. Because as you go around on the safari, you realize that it's uh, the animals that you'll see and the interaction you'll have from the cast member will be different. But what they decided to do is create a script to go along with the storyline. And that script was going to tell the story of you going out and seeing the animals, but there are poachers nearby. And so when you get in the queue for the attraction, you hear the kind of the general storyline they're telling you about the conservation efforts and so forth. Then they made up this Harambe village and tell you you're on, you know, um, you know whatever it is, uh, so however many acres it is out there. And you're really on about 100 acres of land that you're working on. But you're out there and you're seeing the animals and you're going to actually experience and encounter them. So they're telling, they tell you the story in the early part. And uh, then you, get, you go out and you actually get in a safari vehicle and you head out. Now the safari vehicles are basically modified GMC trucks that they put these uh, benches on in the back and they've kind of changed the suspension to make them work a little more interesting. They created uh, ruts in the road. They, they have a, um, a road underneath, but they uh, actually created something that looks like it's all uh, basically worn away and the trucks go through it and it's, you know, it looks like they're going through clay and they've the trucks have clay on the side of them and so forth because they really wanted to give you that immersive experience like these are adventure vehicles. Now that's all, you know, sort of fictitious in a way. And even the way that they created the rickety bridges and some of the other things out there, it's all made up. It's make-believe. But that's okay because they're telling you a story, right? And the story is kind of fun. So in the early days, the idea was there was, there was um, poachers and they were uh, trying to steal an elephant and take its, uh, uh, take its tusks. Um, for ivory. And what they were trying to do was get a point, across uh, the point of conservation. And we should be aware that this is happening in the world. And so they created this storyline. And as you ride along on the Kilimanjaro safaris, they're telling you the story. And you listen to, uh, you listen to what your uh, game warden is saying and what the conservationist is saying, and you hear the whole story, and it kind of comes together. Now, in the original incarnation of the story, at the end, you come across the dead elephant that's been slaughtered and its tusks have been removed. Now this was deemed too much for children and so they took that part out uh, at some point. It was, it was probably about a year after the park opened that they took that out. It just got, it was a little too traumatic for most people. But they were trying to educate you and they were trying to tell you a story. Then later they changed the story a little more and made it so that the poachers were captured but the elephant was returned to its mother. So they just kind of redid that end part of the story and it kind of worked out okay. Um, so, but it was still telling that same story about what might have happened had they actually captured the elephant and uh, it gone a different direction. 
So while it's not as graphic, you still get that same sort of feeling out of the storyline that it kind of goes that way, that things happen and you know, they were able to save the uh, elephant in that case. But the, the conservation effort and the idea that there are poachers out there was still prominent in the storyline. And it was kind of, kind of clever the way they set it up. Now, as far as the people in the story that you hear over the radio and so forth, you hear uh, Wilson Matua, um, who is played by Abdule Ngom. Um, I hope I'm saying his name right, and I'm sorry if I'm not, um, who's an actor who, uh, who does different, uh, different things. But he was hired by Disney specifically to do, um, the, be this game warden, Wilson Matua, who's a, an aviation uh, expert and uh, keeping an eye on the, on the, uh, on the game that's in the, uh, in the preserve. Karebuni. I am Warden Wilson Mutua, and I am happy to welcome you to Harambe Wildlife Reserve. I hope that your visit will give you new appreciation and respect for Africa's magnificent living treasures. Harambe Wildlife Reserve was created to meet the growing challenges that face our native wildlife here in Africa. Expanding human population is bringing with it a loss of natural habitat, threatening the very existence of our great creatures. Sadly, even the borders of Harambe cannot protect our animals from the most dangerous threat of all, poaching. To the poachers, these beautiful animals represent only profit. Rhino and elephants are slaughtered for their horns and ivory. Cheetahs and lions are killed for their coats. And antelope and gazelle are trapped in snares, their meat illegally sold. It is my job to protect all the animals of this reserve. That is why I ask you, all of you, to please join us in our battle against poaching. Kwa macho, kwa wajangili. Grow eyes for poaching. Only by working together can we maintain Harambe as a safe haven for all its animals. I was born here, and my whole life I was taught that what you see with your eyes, you value with your heart. It is my hope that what you see today, you will treasure in your heart. Welcome to Harambe And then you had uh, Miss Catherine Jobson was the uh, conservationist and she appears in it. I can't find out who played Catherine Jobson, so if anyone knows, let me know. But um, I couldn't find any information about who played her. But she's, she's prominent in the uh, conservation part of the story early on. And then you hear her on the radio a couple of times um, when she's telling uh, things about the animals that are out there. So kind of an interesting little piece that they put together there uh, as you listen to it. But pretty neat the way they set it up. Some I think will surprise you. 
The mighty male element, while impressive, is not the leader nor even the cornerstone of elegant society. It is the females of the species who bond together into social units known as herds. Each herd is ruled by an older female known as the matriarch. Her experience in dealing with predators, water sources, and drought patterns is essential to the herd well-being. If the matriarch is killed by poachers, her experience is lost forever, endangering the herd's survival. Given that black and white rhinos look so very much alike, one might imagine that their lifestyles should be similar, but due to the smallest of anatomical differences, they do, in fact, lead very different lives. The black rhino has a flexible, pointy upper lip that adapts to browsing on leaves and shrubs found in Colombia's forest and bush at first glance, it might appear that all zebras look alike. One seems no different from the other. In reality, no two are the same. Each zebra has its own unique strike pattern, much like human fingerprints. The animals of Harambe are wonderfully diverse. Each has a story to tell about the struggle to survive. The cheetah, with the ability to reach speeds up to 70 miles per hour, is the fastest animal on Earth. While evolutionary adaptation has provided it with the means for catching fast-moving prey, it pays a price for its speed. The lightweight cheetah frequently loses its catch to the stronger hyena or lion. The African bull is a favorite prey of lions, leopards, and cheetah. Its defense is high-speed escape. When the water has no alternative but to fight, it does not use the large upper tusks as one might expect. It is the sharp lower tusks that can inflict lethal damage on the predator. The upper tusks are digging tools used to excavate burrows and find roots. Harambe is rich with bird life. Keep your eyes out for some of these species. Cory Bustard. Secretary Bird. Ground Hornbill. Helmeted Guinea Fowl. Crowned Crane. Ostrich. Flamingo. Graceful, delicate appearance of antelope and gazelle rely their athletic ability. In parlors, are antelope capable of bounding fluid leaps of over 10 meters or 39 feet. And this Thompson's gazelle is potty, making abrupt upward leaps. Perhaps this behavior advertises their athletic ability to evade predators. Harambe's bush country abounds with many varieties of antelope and gazelle. Ontbok. Dweka. Common waterbuck. Nyala. Sable antelope. Clipspringer. Scimitar horned oryx. Sometimes our perception.
perceptions of animals are clouded by the human qualities we assign them. Let's take a look at some behaviors that seem familiar and have very different meanings in the animal world. A giant yawn like this might appear to indicate fatigue, but in fact, a bullion's awesome yawn is actually a threat display, a warning to other males intruding into his territory. If the intruder does not withdraw, ferocious fighting often ensues. Many old bulls bear the scars of dozens of such territorial encounters. Stocks are often associated with images of good luck, bald child. But the Marabou stock, bald head and gangly body, evokes a more sinister impression. The Marabou is primarily a scavenger, consuming the remnants of the predator's meal. Yet these actions are vital to Harambe's ecological health. By swiftly converting carcasses to skeletons, the marabou returns important nutrients to the soil. In Harambe's open bush country, you might see giraffes engaged in necking. This is not affectionate behavior, but a ritual used to determine dominance between males. The two contestants intertwine their necks and push from side to side, like two humans engaged in a bout of arm wrestling. The male lion, king of the beasts, is a hunter of the African kings. Actually, spends most of his day sleeping. Contrary to it is the females of the tribe who do nearly all the hunting. Now, the music you hear is something called Hapa Duniani. And it's by um, African Dawn, uh, and, uh, a group that's out of, uh, out of Africa. If I'm not mistaken, they're a group of expats who live in the UK and talk about the, uh, the plight of um, uh, different regions in Africa. I'm not positive about that, but I believe that's them. And um, the idea is that they, uh, you know, they're trying to bring you something, a little, uh, little happiness uh, in the storyline here. And so Disney, uh, Disney licensed their music to play on the, uh, on the safari. Bamba yetu Yulie Mbenguni Jina Laku Litu Uswe Yufame Wakuyuye Oh, no. 
Now, over time, they changed the storyline again. You really don't hear anything about the poachers anymore. Um, it, that's been erased from the story for the most part. Um, you kind of, it kind of gets, it's a little more muddled because of the way they put it together. It doesn't really make sense in the same way. Um, but it kind of, you kind of, you know, there's all these signs about poachers and whatever, but you don't really hear the storyline. So it's kind of a weird thing. It sort of loses sort of, sort of its conservation message that they were trying to put out there. But I guess that's the way they decided to play it. Now, they... Um, typically, the, uh, the ride was closed um, at sundown uh, because you really don't see the animals. This is always the challenge with animals. They're boring most of the time. And when it's hot out, they're really boring. And at night, if they're not nocturnal, they go inside. And you don't have any lights out there. So if they're nocturnal and they're out, you probably won't see them. But what they decided to do at some point was to open up a limited time exhibit where you could go out and actually see the animals uh, at various times at night. And uh, they do run the Kilimanjaro Safari sometimes uh, in the evenings so that you can kind of see some animals that are out at night. And when it's cooler, some of the other animals are roaming around a little more anyway. So in a way, it, it's good that they have it going on and you can actually see them. The reserve was established in 1971 to protect the local wildlife. Unfortunately, the poachers still go after our elephants. So the reserve is protected and looked after by many wildlife wardens. With 800 square miles to cover, they spend a lot of time in the air looking out for us. Our safari takes us into some pretty rough landscape this morning. Not to worry, though, we're always in radio contact with those airborne wardens. There are eyes in the sky. So if everybody's ready, as we say in Harambe, Wednesday, let's go. Demo 6, Demo 6. We're inside the reserve now. Your eyes open for small animals that may be hiding in the trees and undergrowth. Oh, 
quite a few uh, yellow-billed storks on both sides of the road looking at us this morning. Deal, copy. Right up here to the right-hand side. Black and white. You're going to miss it. May also catch a glimpse of the black rhino who's trotting around up at the top of this road here. The rhino seems pretty indestructible, but they've been hit hard by poachers. There are less than 3,000 black rhinos left in all of Africa. Talongo. See it up there eating the trees? Large red body with stripes, horns. They are called the ghosts of the forest because they are rarely seen. That's rarely seen. Wardens are already in the air. Kilimanjaro Safari calling Warden Wilson Matua. Mr. Wilson, you're making your rounds today. Over. Yes, Simbawan. And today I have a passenger. Miss Jobson, my favorite wildlife researcher. Hum Jumbo, everyone. We're at the Safi River heading north into the savannah. If you've got any wildlife spotting tips, we'd love to hear them. Roger, Simbawan. We'll do. Over. some hippos over here to the left. I see ears and heads and everything else trying to stick out. The hippo spends a lot of time under the water, otherwise those big bodies of theirs would really overheat. An adult hippo can stay submerged underwater as long as eight minutes. Good morning. <laughs> These are Egyptian geese over to the left-hand side also. The pink legs, Egyptian geese. when you come to Senegali Bridge, move fully, fully, very slowly. That old bridge has a hippo down here against the wall. And I think I will shift the eye frame the crocodile know it. Roger Wilson, we see plenty of crocs. They see us. Serengeti grassland system. Zebra and wildebeest migrate through it. 
Antelope, lion, and elephant live there year-round. It's part of the wild Africa we're all working hard to save.
On the other side of these rocks to the left, you may see the mandrel baboon. We're also entering elephant country at this time. Hopefully we'll get to see our two most famous residents. here if you can see them back through those trees the down trees also down on the rock the lower level of the rock there there's the large male right there he is he is huge very handsome gentleman also elephant over to the right hand side I have not seen them today try the red clay pit Big Red is the elephant matriarch of the reserve's herd she gave birth a while ago to a new calf he does bathe in the same red clay pit as his mama so I name him Little Red elephants are wonderfully social creatures they have moods, sympathies and emotions over some nice pictures there. Oh, oh my God. Oh, yeah, they do that. It looks like they ham it up sometimes. Yeah. Well, another old bridge. Everybody cross your fingers. Hold on tight. Make sure you hold on to those little ones. You might also spot those elephants. All right, right there. Uh-oh. Hey, you didn't cross your fingers.
large mare from the store it's on the right hand side of the vehicle. <laughs> Also some white storks, as well as the greater flamingo in the center. some scimitar horned oryx. Those horns are named after a famous sword, the scimitar sword. They are actually about 42 inches long. There's also some more gazelle back in there. Oh, <laughs> 
That is the story of the Kilimanjaro Safaris. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. The question for today is, why does this keep happening? And the this is referring to the deaths of black people at the hands of police officers. It seems to be happening at a frequency that's alarming, but I don't think, in my opinion, it's happening any more often than it had in the past. In fact, perhaps it's happening less. But what we're seeing is more video evidence. There's more body cameras. There's more surveillance video. There's more people with cell phones in their hands that can make a video. So you're hearing about it more than we ever did in the past. And I think there's more attention rightly drawn to the, um, to the topic as well. Um, in this era where we're thinking about it more. 
And we need to continue to think about it. We can't just let these things go unchecked. Look, there's the trial of the guy who killed George Floyd. And, you know, this is ongoing and the, the scene is horrific and the stories are horrific and the evidence is presented as horrific. It's just a terrible, terrible thing. This should have never happened. And, you know, you listen to it and in the meantime, there's other things happening at the same time. You have this officer who killed a black man who was uh, stopped at a traffic stop guess for an expired tag or something and she was reaching for her um, taser and grabbed her gun by mistake now there was an altercation and something happened I, I get that I'm not trying to um, downplay that but there was you know there's more it's a more nuanced story than we know but yet she wound up killing him and there was no reason for her to kill him in that sense so it's kind of weird and then there was the stop of the um the army officer who was driving a new SUV and police couldn't see the tag and I guess assumed that it was stolen and um, came at him with guns drawn, and he was afraid for his life at that moment, naturally, um, and defensively. And so they pepper sprayed him, and then you know har- harassed him after that, and told him he couldn't talk about it, or they'd come after him. And it's like these kinds of things just should not be happening in this in this society. Now we've had a problem of systemic racism in this country for a long time, where we've done a lot of things to um, foment it and, you know, promote it in some way. And it's, like I said, it's systemic. So it's, it's part of our culture in a way with the way we, um, treat people and the way we, you know, sort of, uh, do things and don't give people an op some people an opportunity in life, particularly if they're black. And we have these, uh, what, you know, people refer to the projects or the, um, the, uh, inner city or whatever, you know, kind of euphemistically as these places where people live and they tend to be black, but they have no choice because we've systematically stopped them from getting loans and other things or other real estate developers who over the years have said, oh, if you're black, we're not going to offer you a loan and we're not going to let you live in this community. So it's a bigger problem than that. But we've been working on those problems. Those, those we've been attacking, but the police problem is one we're not really approaching throughout. It's, you know, it's a systemic problem that's, that's bigger. So just to give you perspective, the University of South Carolina did a study and uh, they looked at um, millions of records. And what they found was that uh, black drivers were 63% more likely to be stopped in a traffic stop. Um, And uh, the um, black drivers, uh, black people are 16% less likely to drive. So given that, you know, you realize that they're many more times likely to be stopped. they're also more likely to be searched than white drivers, but yet they found that contraband was more likely to be found in white drivers' cars. So interesting little perspective there. Um, they looked at many states, not just the South. Um, so the researcher Kelsey Schaub, um, uh, who's an assistant professor of political science at uh, South Carolina, said um, driving while black is very much a thing. It's everywhere, and it's not just in North Carolina or a Southern problem, but across the United States. The second thing is that it appears to be more systemic than a few bad apple officers engaged in racial, racial profiling. Uh, and what the conclusion is, is this highlights the need for systemic reviews of police training and conduct with an eye for rooting out motivated, uh, racially motivated behavior among law enforcement officials. So if you really think about the big picture, there's more going on here, right? And we need to, we need to stop and consider it. We need to be a part of the solution, all of us. I'm not just talking about those of us who happen to be white or anything else. I'm talking about all of us. We all need to be part of a solution. We need to find a way to make this more effective. Look, you know, the police are in the business of to protect and serve. That's the primary goal. And we've 
kind of over-policed and overdone. And, you know, we hear about police forces that need military-grade equipment and whatever. You know, you, you think about what police work was like in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and even to the 80s, you know, where police were good detectives and they were, they were good at protecting and serving. And then it became more about, you know, being more militaristic and being more, you know, um, advanced in their uh, tactics and so forth. And these things, we need to change again. You know, it's time to evolve again and, and think about it differently. Now, I'm not saying I have the answers or that I have a suggestion on what you should specifically do here. I'm drawing attention to it. I want you to think about it. I'm trying to get you to consider things and think about the big picture in the world around us and to stop and take a moment and think about what's happening. Look, many police officers are good and they're doing it for the right reasons and they're, uh, they're in it for um, the reasons of actually protecting and serving. They want to serve their community. They're doing good things. But it's, it comes back to, to a degree, I think, this gun culture where people are, are feeling empowered by the fact they have a gun and they can do whatever they want. And essentially, they're above the law because they are the law. And it's kind of a weird thing that happens. And we need to rein that back in and take control again and make sure that you know, everyone is treated fairly and equitably. That's what, I'm, that's what I want you to consider here. Just stop and think about what's happening around us in the world and do what you can in your small way to make a difference to think about it, to be a part of a solution rather than just letting the problem go on and rolling your eyes and going, hey, that's the way the world is. It's not that simple. We need to be part of the solution. And that's my one little spark for today. And that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 